Dotnet Rocks episode 661 with guest Glenn Block. Recorded live Thursday, April 17th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Richard Campbell. Hey, it's Richard Campbell at Mix 2011, and I'm sitting with Glenn Block. Awesome to be here, We Richard. can't help but talk to each other. We've been had breakfast before this recording, and we've just been talking nonstop. I think we're a half hour behind schedule, and had she had to take a breath to make to do the conversation we wanted to have with the listeners but and i know we're just going to keep talking after this i know we have this effect on each other you know but i i love hanging out with you man and you know we have a lot of fun we do and we care about we this do. technology i almost too much definitely definitely so and I, and I always appreciate your wisdom about just <laughs> the industry and all that other stuff I'm just I, uh, getting old that's all <laughs> old and cynical that's me Hey, I just turned 39. I'm feeling like I'm starting to push it. There you go. <laughs> and you're not the meth guy anymore. I mean, everybody, meth's doing great things. We did a show yeah. a little while ago with uh, Brian Noyes talking about Prism 4 and how meth is there. But you're, that's not what you're working on anymore. No, I, I, it, it's really interesting. I, um, kind of got burned out. Because I was living meth like twenty four seven, my wife thought I had a new girlfriend, and her <laughs> name was Meth. <laughs> Spent a lot more time with her, got her gifts, went on vac- went on trips with her. Yeah. It, was, it was really, it was really not a good. It thing. was getting out of hand. <laughs> it was, and and I think I just burned out about it from mm-hmm. talking about it so much. And I kind of, I think with Meth, I became kind of an expert on a technology that we built, um, but I kind of felt like. I want to just put my head around a new domain. I want to do something different. And the other thing was that since I've been at Microsoft, I've kind of had these two tracks that I've operated on. Mm -hmm. There's been this one track about how do I help us be more relevant as a company of how we build software in general. Mm -hmm. How do I help groups to get more connected with how – developers in the real world are building software and how do we drive those practices back? Right. And this is where a lot of my involvement with like the alt.net community came about. And so a lot of that work was done on the MEF team. It was like the MEF team and it wasn't just me, of course, but I would say I I bring a dose of energy for certain (laughs) things. You are enthusiastic. (laughs) Um, But it was like we had a great Community involvement. We had a, you know, great setup with working with, uh, people involved with what we were doing, et cetera. Um, little did I know when I left that a lot of that would go down the drain, but just being raw. I mean, I think a lot of the community efforts for MEF went out the door when yeah. I left, uh, which is a, uh, which is frustrating to be perfectly honest because you, you don't want it to just be about you. You want to create really like a systematic change in the way people think about things. One of the things that was really cool though is um when I was working on the MEF team, we all the RIA services team was also under Brad A. Yeah. And they were doing some great work. And we did a lot of cross pollinization of ideas and mind share and all of that. And they've continued on that path. So that was that was great. I miss Brad. Um, yeah, me too. I think it was I, a real I, boss for Microsoft. I as think. a matter of fact, coming to Vegas, the last time I was in Vegas, Brad and I were 
uh, on the stratosphere. Oh yeah, <laughs> riding all I those remember, rides. Right, it's at launch. Yeah, with Ward, Ward Bell and Kathleen Dollard, we had a great time. <laughs> so I pinged Brad and I was like, "Hey, you want to go on that new sky jump thing?" He's like, "You'll have to go without me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a huge loss, and yeah. Brad actually has been a major help for me in my career in general. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of where I got to is much in thanks to Brad. I mean, he brought me from PMP to the math team, right? And, you know, at the time, that was like winning the lottery. It was like, <laughs> do I want to build guidance on the platform or do I want to actually build, build the, the platform? platform. I and love Brad it. Brad gave me that opportunity. And, and not only did he give me that opportunity, he really supported me for who I was mm-hmm. um, and let me do the things that really made me, uh, you know, that I was passionate about. And even supported pushing on things that were a little different than the way we've probably done stuff before sure. in the framework. So, so that was awesome. But anyway, and I see I'm continuing the track of going off on tangents. Yeah. No, um, I decided I just wanted something different. And when I was in the alt.net community a couple of years ago, uh, well, I've been involved with the community ever since, mm-hmm. but I remember hearing all this talk about this rest thing and like, Hey, we don't need soap for everything that we do we can just pass some json or some xml directly back right. to a browser and it works really nice and you know i don't need like a soap parser and all of this yeah, stuff. use the verbs we've got in our browser exactly and it's very friendly and so i came thinking you know that's a really interesting thing and i see momentum around it and mm-hmm. it seems like not an area where we are fantastic right um so um, and then I, I heard a lot of feedback about WCF and had my own experiences mm-hmm. and, you know, thought, wow, that's a place where it could probably use a bit of simplification. Yeah, WCF is known as a complex technology. It is. It's a sophisticated technology. Sure. Um, but the challenge is I think we find out that, you know, in WCF we've optimized for a lot of complex scenarios and then you find out in the real world that there's a lot of people that don't have those scenarios. And then it's like, why do I have to deal with this complex thing when really I just want to solve simple problems? Well, and it seems like most of the time when I see WCF in the field, it's at its default configuration. You know, yeah. minimal, exactly. rarely do people dive under the hood of the setup in WCF and really get into the more complex rules around encryption and authentication. And exactly. So but a lot of that stuff is pushed in your face. It's yeah, there. It's always and there. And you have to know, like, do I need this or don't I? Right. Um, but anyway, um, and I think there was, um, so I, I found out from Brad actually. Mm-hmm. Cause that, he was hey, working on that. He was, was he moved was sort of over his last, to that team. That was his last role before he left. It was, yeah. he moved over to that team and he's like, he's, he said to me, you know, Hey, there's, you know, he's like a lot of things have changed over in that organization. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think we could really use somebody like you who's really driving on this customer connectivity angle and, mm-hmm. and building, you know, building support outside and getting people to work with us to, to help us deliver something that is, um, you know, more suitable to the broader set of needs. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I talked with people in the org and it just seemed like a really good fit. And like I said, this rest thing was in my head. And what I thought was rest is not what I come to find out rest really is. You hear that statement a lot. I, I, I really came in with the, it's the no soap you know, yeah. angle, which is like, hey, I just want to return some data and I want to do it without a lot of friction. Um, things have changed dramatically in terms of my understanding of what that is right. over the last year. 
Um, and we have decided in, um, you know, in WCF to deliver a solution that is really optimized for folks that want to expose things over HTTP. We call this WCF Web APIs. Right. And that's the thing that I'm working on. And just to be clear, it's not a restful framework in the sense that one of the things I learned, you know, people is rest, you could do a multiple choice question. Is rest a technology? Is rest a pattern? <laughs> is rest a product? It's like, eh, eh, yeah. eh. rest is an architectural style. Right. It's a way to use HTTP, uh, in order to satisfy a set of, um, constraints mm-hmm. and get a whole bunch of benefits. And that may sound like motherhood and apple pie, but mm-hmm. there actually are some very clear benefits you get from building restful systems and some very clear attributes of building a restful system. But not everything that's over HTTP is restful. We know that. So that sure. is the common thinking, right? right? It's not soap. I can pass it over HTTP. That's rest. So that's been an interesting thing in terms of there's a bunch of people that will say, I just listened to what you said and you said you're building a RESTful framework even though you said you're not building a RESTful framework. <laughs> so Something very zen about that, Glenn, so I, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the answer is that we care a lot about REST. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure if you want to do it, you can do it. Right. We're not opinionated in forcing you to do it. Right. We are opinionated about HTTP. And that's actually a good thing because there's a lot of different flavors of how people actually implement REST. And I'm talking about REST as it's defined, mm-hmm. which just to give a pointer, you know, the person who coined this term, Roy Fielding, yes. pretty important guy because he happened to help write the HTTP spec. Yeah. He was the primary author. He's all over the RFCs everywhere. He's exactly. just one of those guys. You know, people just like dismiss him as a zealot. It's like, well, then you shouldn't have let him build the infrastructure of the web because <laughs> guess what? He did. <laughs> and if you don't like he, it, you can go away. And you know that Apache web server? Yeah, you know, that, he that was. <laughs> He's going to take his stuff and go home. And you exactly. guys are going to be talking on cups with strings shut. again. Sorry, the internet's going to take a day off. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. And it, I'm. Honestly, I still think the the Wikipedia posting on REST, which I think was largely crafted by Roy anyway, although tweaked and tuned, is the best definition I've ever seen. Very yeah. well thought out, nice piece of history on it. You know, it gets that uh, contention out there. And you really have to go to the history to understand it because then you learn like REST has been there from the beginning. Sure, REST is-, is not some new hot item. No. The thing that's different is that it's mostly been invisible. Right. And here's why. It's because all the servers of the web know how to – um, they know how to optimize if you're doing things in a restful way. Right. The browser knows how to deal with things in a restful way. Mm-hmm. So then you might ask the question of, well, why do people care so much now about this rest thing? Because they're going beyond the bounds of the browser. Right. And once you go beyond the bounds of the browser, all these things that were invisible to you are very much in your face. Sure. Suddenly all those HTTP headers that you took for granted, it's like, well, if I want to get the same benefits that the browser gets, I actually got to start to care about those. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you about JustMock, Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools, JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at telerik.com slash justmock. 
And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Telerik. So really, if I'm recapping here, WCF uh, Web API is about surfacing that HTTP communication programmatically. Exactly. Okay. And And if you were going to... Now, somebody might fire back and say, but wait a minute. Doesn't WCF already do that? Mm. It's been doing that since .NET 3.5. Sure. It has, but WCF's sweet spot was really about, I've got a body of information mm -hmm. and just, I want to be agnostic to whatever the transport is. Right. So it can talk HTTP, but when it does that, it really uses HTTP as a transport protocol of just get things from A to B. Right. It doesn't provide an ideal. It does provide a possible experience, but an ideal experience for working with HTTP in a rich way mm -hmm. because it's designed to not let you work with anything in a rich way within the programming model because you want to be abstracted from it. So the difference, I would say, the biggest difference between what we're doing now is we're saying we're embracing HTTP and saying if you use the web API – we use this quote, I use this term first class, mm -hmm. meaning we don't hide it from you. We make it really easy to get access to everything that you want to with HTTP. And as a matter of fact, the reverse is now what's difficult. Mm -hmm. We're not optimized anymore to say with Web API, you can also talk to MSMQ and TCP IP because that is not a design goal right. at all. This is all about HTTP. And why that's great for you is, guess what? There's a lot of people that that's all they care about. Mm -hmm. And today they're saying, well, I'm getting all these other benefits that actually are not benefits to me. I'm trading off the programming model and the experience for this flexibility that I don't actually need. Right. Because all I want to do is expose my capabilities to browsers and other devices that are not actually talking over this SOAP thing. Right. So for that reason, I think it's a more natural, refined experience. And it's deliberate to say, this feels right. For working with HTTP. But the question, you know, we've already got IIS. We also have HTTP sys. Yep. Did we need another quote unquote web server? So I would say that that decision was made back in .NET 3.5. Right. When we created WCF HTTP. Right. We already have this ability. Now, I think the thing that WCF brings to the fore is the ability to work on multiple host environments. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. With WCF HTTP and with our new web API, I can host on IAS. I can self-host, right. which will actually end up on top of HTTP it's, listener. Right. Right. Or I can use WAS activation. Mm -hmm. Or I can be an ASP.NET. So I get the gamut of hosts, and that's what those other solutions don't actually provide. I right. could build something specific like with HTTP modules or HTTP handlers. Yes. That's going to be only for ASP.NET. Right. I could build something with IIS and write, you know, unmanaged modules or yeah, whatever it a CGI is. CGI module. Exactly. But the idea of WCF is you still get that host agnosticism. Right. You're just now being more specific for a particular type of protocol, which in this case is not just about bytes. It's actually a rich protocol that has a lot of semantics that if you leverage them, you get a ton of benefit. And it is all managed code, but it, it doesn't have to run in the ASP.NET context. Exactly. Okay. I mean, that's but it can it, run in the ASP.NET context. There's no reason it would, yeah, you have that choice, which I now, now you've convinced me. This is pretty interesting. Well, and but what you are, what, started off this point yeah. with 
you don't care about any of this as long as you're working with a browser. It's all under the hood. So we've talked about the server piece. What's the client? Well, so first off, I think I said you don't care about it as long as you're only using a browser. Right. That's a, but the browser is not the only client. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that's really interesting is we now have browsers that host non-browser clients. And you may say, well, what the heck does that mean? What are you, what are you talking about, Glenn? So have you heard about jQuery? I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been around. So jQuery is a really popular web framework that right. people are using now for building their UIs. Mm -hmm. Well, with jQuery, it's like I've got some non-browser code. It's running in the browser. Yes. Yeah. But. When we talk about REST and HTTP, we talk about the concept of a user agent, mm -hmm. right? When the browser just renders a page, the browser is the user agent. Yes. When my jQuery code or my JavaScript code goes and makes a call, it's no longer the UI of the browser right. that is the agent. It's actually that code. The code. And that code is actually non-UI, even though it may return some type of UI. But that's a, that's up to jQuery. And what you do on that side of the code is to whether you actually return a UI or not. Exactly. You're just going and fetching some data. Exactly. Exactly. So immediately I get into, well, I need to be able to just talk, I need to be able to talk more than just HTML pages. I need to be able to talk JSON. Mm -hmm. Now, but JSON is only one format. Right. And this is one of the things that was fascinating for me. You know, like over the years, you hear about these different formats like vCard. Right. And they don't mean anything. You just see like in Outlook, I can export to vCard. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why the heck would I need or that? Or right? ICS, calendar format. I calendar format. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you start to realize that, hey, you know what? If I can talk these formats, I can get a much richer interaction with devices that understand those formats. Sure. And there's a heck of a lot of devices that understand those formats. Yeah, you bet. One of the things I demoed in my, um, in my mix talk was, a particular format, which you just mentioned, mm -hmm. called iCalendar. Right. And with iCalendar, I'm able to now richly interact with the iPad's calendaring system and push invites. I, I mean, push, sorry, push events and scheduled items right on. So imagine talking back to a service, but instead of that service returning me just some JSON right. that my browser is going to use – it's actually in a rich way expressing semantics about, hey, this is actually a calendaring item mm -hmm. and the client understands that. So it just adds it. So these are the kinds and of it's scenarios. Just, it's just text, right? You're not sending a file. It's per not se. XML. It's not JSON. Mm -hmm. It is just a text format. Yeah, it's it's almost like a data. YAML. It's almost like a YAML, but it's not exactly field colon, field colon with a, with a, with a couple of contracts. Yeah, would you call it a media type? It is. Okay. It is. So we're, People that have been building like web services back in the day thought about one media type that was XML. Right. People that went into this new world of what, you know, over abusing the term REST <laughs> thought about a second media type, which was JSON. Right. HTML, they never thought about because the browser just did it for them. Right. They didn't actually, it is a even media though there type. is a text slash HTML. Yeah. The beauty of the web that Roy, uh, who's not as crazy as people may try to dismiss. <laughs> He designed the, you know, they, when they were designing the web, they said, we want it to be really scalable and evolvable mm -hmm. and allow these new formats to just get introduced. Right. So they, they took the great old principle of separation of concerns and said, look, a URI is a way to address a resource. Right. Think of it as like a, a, a key to a resource, mm -hmm. like a primary key in a way. And resources can have multiple representations. Right. And the media type is that representation. So just to drive this all home for people who have not heard that term media type, what it means is when I post something 
to a web server, I'm going to send it a content type. Right. And the value that's in that content type can be one of a million different values. Sure. And those values are media types. If my server sends me back a response that has a content type of like PDF, whatever, I forget the, uh, the media type description for PDF, then clients like browsers have a plugin model right. where they now associate, and this was known as MIME, yes. which people have moved away from using the MIME term because it was really uh, associated with email. MIME mm-hmm. was really about email. Yes. And that browser knows now, hey, you're not just returning me binary stuff. You're actually returning me something I can show in a PDF viewer right. or you're returning me an Atom feed. Yeah. Now, Atom's a really interesting one because when I return you application slash XML, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it's a very generic term. It just means I'm parsable. Right. But when I return you an Atom feed, I've actually given you semantics of, okay, I know what to expect. Yeah. There's going to be feeds and feed items. It's a, it's contract-like. You can exactly. make a whole bunch of presumptions about exactly. that content type. Exactly. And I can even make presumptions about capabilities. Like I'll find links within an Atom feed to mm-hmm. actually do stuff. Sure. To actually edit things, to to add new things. It, it is much richer than just a flat, just a data representation. Mm-hmm. And why that's interesting is it removes the client from having to have um, a lot of knowledge about what to expect. Like it does have to know I may see certain types of things, mm-hmm. but like I may see feeds or feed items, but it doesn't have to have a static knowledge, which is the way we would write things today sure. of I'm looking for exactly this element and this element and this Well, element. jumping back to your iPad example there. Yeah. And, it, and I feel like this really ties back to the whole REST conversation of just using the HTTP we've got. Yep. Because you're now using... These content types. I don't know if they call them content type or media types. It's synonymous. Media type tends to be content type is definitely the header. Yeah, the header. But header. the value that's set in the content type, they tend to call media, media type. type. And there's actually IANA, mm-hmm. which is you know the Internet Naming Authority, yes. where you can find thousands of different, of different definitions media types that. that are out. But there. I think the compelling part about this, getting back to that fundamental functionality, is Every web-capable device, not even something as fancy as an iPad, has this concept of how to map a content type to an application of some kind. Yes. And you on the server side don't need to know. Exactly. I'm just going to fire you down an iCalendar. You're going to recognize the, the, the content type in your whatever app you use on your device can consume it. Well, and yes, and what's interesting too is HTTP actually provides a mechanism for the clients to express what they want. Right. And that's what those accept headers mm-hmm. These are, are the about. formats I accept. Exactly. Another thing you never look at until you're actually plunging through the depths of the HTTP headers going, what is all this stuff? And guess what? Now we're looking at it right. and saying, okay, so that means we need to provide a way for you to say, here's all the formats I support. Mm-hmm. And first class support for HTTP would be, when that accept header comes in, we do the right thing. Right. Allow you to easily say, this associates with this media type. Right. This associates with this media type. Mm-hmm. And that now gives you the flexibility of, of evolving your services to support all these different formats. Mm-hmm. Clients get the ability to select the preferences that they want. Right. And then the server just knows how to make the connection. Well, there's no real way, if I remember my headers well, and it's sad that I even know anything about this, I think. There's no real way to say, hey, here's three different 
I, I accept ICS, but you know, the, maybe there's a preferred, you know, when it comes to calendar formats, I want this other format first. There's really no way to prioritize. No, there is. Is it just by the order that it comes to? The accept headers have qualifiers. Really? And that's what the qualifiers. I have never used this. Q equals 0. 0.1, 0. 0.5. So you can yes. actually say, hey, when it comes, I prefer this format for it's, calendar. That is not only the second can format, you, the third. that's actually what the accept headers are for. Right. Is to give you, get, tell the server the preference of exactly. the format. Exactly. And you can even go further than that. Now, sometimes. We just don't use it. I mean, the, the, what's driving me crazy is there's all this functionality we've had for all this time and we've, we've we don't use stuff. it, but tons of web servers use it. Right. We just don't use it. Right. There's tons of things that do use it. Well, we just don't I'm just trying it. to get past thinking about this in the context of a browser. Go look at this. Go look at, open up Chrome or IE or anything. Mm-hmm. Use Fiddler. Yeah. Go look at the accept headers. Have you sure. ever done that? Absolutely. Then you'll see the qualifiers. Yeah, there. yeah. That's why this one gets a preference over something else. Because the accept headers have set that up. And if you set them up wrong, you'll actually get undesired effects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You'll be getting something else and you'll be saying, why am I getting that? Why is this well, broken? <laughs> so this is a good use case of the kinds of things that we're supporting in Web API. We're right. saying that this is called content negotiation, by the way. Mm-hmm. There's actually a defined term for this. It's called ConEgg. And there's three types of ConEgg, and one of them, which you're talking about, is called server-driven, transparent, Mm -hmm. where the client sends accept headers, the server makes a decision. There's actually another one that is also used that a lot of people don't know about, which is client-driven negotiation. Hmm. Client-driven negotiation is if the server can't figure out – like you've given it a bunch of accept headers, but it doesn't feel like that's enough. And by the way, it doesn't have to only use accept headers. There's actually a special header called vary, and what that means is that the server can use more than just the accept header. Mm-hmm. It can use the language header as well. There's other headers, encoding. There's other headers, a lot of people don't know this, mm-hmm. that can happen as part of this content negotiation process. But let's say the server has decided that I really can't figure out what to give you. Mm-hmm. It can actually send back a list of supported formats. I could do that. And a capable client then just chooses right. what it wants. Interesting. And it's not sending the data at that point. It's just, it's another round of negotiations. Exactly. And one of the places where I've heard that this might be interesting is let's say I'm going to print and I want like a print preview. Right. But the browser doesn't know that, right? It doesn't know the intent of what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that the system is set up to offer me back a list of formats so I can say, oh, because I want a print preview, you know, give me this, give me PostScript or, or, or something like that. It's really sure. fascinating. But anyway, I want to move uh, to just the topic of, so like, what are we doing with web APIs? Yeah. We've talked a bit about it. Um, but one of the things I think we've learned a lot of is that we talked about this complexity thing. Mm-hmm. What does it take to get going? Yeah. Um, and, if we're going to play well for the web, what are the common things people are trying to do on the web? Well, one format that we've never really supported in WCF is the one that browsers use really commonly, which is when I do a form post. Right. When I do a form post, there's this media type called form URL encoded. Yeah. Right. So even though the result may come back as JSON, which is common if I'm using like uh, something like jQuery. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might come back as HTML if I was just doing a regular form regular post. Regular form post, yeah. So one of the things we're adding in Web API is out of the box, you can form post to your Web API services. So they will support XML, JSON, form URL encoded. 
And we're adding support for that new great format that we've been talking a lot about, which is OData, mm-hmm. for doing data querying. So it's like out of the box, all of these formats will just be supported. You won't have to do anything. If you want to then go further and add things like support for iCalendar and these kind of things, right. you're going to have a very simple way to do that. And when I say by very simple, we've heard a lot of feedback from folks who really don't like working in markup. Mm-hmm. And don't like having to manage deployment of all these different config files. Right. So we're really looking at what is the code-based experience for doing configuration. And we're taking hints from Entity Framework and from uh, – with their Code First stuff mm-hmm. and MVC and even looking at like the Ruby on Rails folks and a lot of open source like Structure Map and, and Open Rasta, et cetera, and saying let's provide ways of configuring things in a nice way – in code. And what I say about it in a nice way is because in WCF, we allowed you to configure stuff in code, mm-hmm. but it really pushed this huge object model in your face yes. that you had to understand and navigate. Yeah, we and we tried to stay on the surface of it because it got very difficult so, as soon as you pop below exactly. the default levels. So if you watch my talk at Mix, one of the things we're showing is we surface a lot of that stuff very mm-hmm. high level, and we're actually introducing new extensibility points that are very tailored for the kinds of things you want to do with HTTP. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is in the HTTP world, at the end of the day, everything is about request and response. Yep. Anything I want to do really relates to as a request message comes in, there's a bunch of stuff I want to do to it. Right. Once it gets into my handling code, I may want to do further stuff to it. Mm-hmm. And while it's on the way out, I may want to do that stuff. Right. And we've always allowed you to do that in WCF through this thing called behaviors. Mm-hmm. But because we have this agnostic model, you then had to know, well, am I actually in HTTP? And if I am, I have to start navigating this message to get all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, One, and creating the, re- the response is equally as complex. Exactly. And also, the WCF behavior model is kind of like, a, I really want to say, just do it, but I actually have to write a class to configure it <laughs> to just do it. Right. Right? So we took hints from a bunch of that stuff, and we said, okay... What we really need is a first-class HTTP message concept. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. So in the new model, we actually don't use a SOAP message. We actually have an HTTP request and response message, which are strongly typed, give me access to all the headers, Mm -hmm. and I can get access to those all the way up to my operation. And instead of Using static APIs, which we heard a lot of feedback about them not being intuitive and not being testable, Mm -hmm. I can just take a parameter of HTTP request message of contact. And that says, I want a contact model, but I also want to see the request headers. And I can return an HTTP response message of contact because I want to show that a contact was created and I want to set the status code that says created Ah. instead of just okay. Right. And I can access any of the headers that way in a very clean way that's testable in my programming model. Interesting. But I can also use those messages 
outside of the context of the operation in these new pipelines that we've introduced that say, look, anything I want to do to that request on the way in, and this is a composable model. So let's say I want to do some transformation. Right. Formatting. I want to do, I want to support custom media types. Yeah. I can plug all this stuff in so that the author who's just writing the services doesn't have to think about all that stuff. E-tags is another great case. Mm -hmm. E-tags are something that a lot of people don't understand, which is a way to get really good caching benefits. And it requires you to embed stuff in all outgoing responses. Right. And pull stuff out of incoming requests. Well, I don't want every developer who has to write operations to be an expert with HTTP to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So by allowing these plug points and making them easy to be configurable, you can take these kinds of concerns. You can work with them. So that's a key principle. If you want to use it right from the operation, set the e-tag, you feel comfortable doing that, do do it. it. But if you want to move it out to make the code more maintainable, you can do that as well. Well, it also sounds like like an e-tag manager would be a great sort of third-party module that you drop into the pipeline. Exactly. And, it takes care of and for you. so the pipeline really is a place for an ecosystem. Right. We've opened it so deliberately so that not only do we use it, mm-hmm. I mean that's how we plug things in so you can rip out the things that we plug in that you don't like. Right. Without Hacking oh, but, but things you don't, up. It's but easy you to don't do. have to. That's right. the key. If you're comfortable with our defaults, just use them. Mm-hmm. But for those people that want to go further, and we find often that, you know, people start off wanting to work with the comfort zone, sure. and suddenly they want to do something. And that first experience of trying to do something outside of the norm yeah. is what shapes their experience going forward of, would I use this technology or not? Right. They and might be all fine once they're in the sandbox. Well, and that's... My experience with WCBF has been exactly like that, that you could run along the surface and do the basic things and use your samples and that will work. And the moment you crack into that object model, you're hit with a wall of stuff you need to know to be successful. There's exactly. no gradual way to get better at WCF. Exactly. You're either using it as a beginner or you're an expert. There's nothing in between. And if you take this code-based config model I was talking about, all mm-hmm. these pipeline and all this stuff that I'm telling you about, mm-hmm. we're actually providing ways to configure that nicely through code. Mm-hmm. So here's why that's interesting. Let's say I'm in an er- – so first you have the third-party angle. Yep. Let's say I'm in an enterprise – and I basically want all my developers to be able to use our policy way of, you know, these are the things we do with HTTP. Right. These are how we apply REST. These are all these other things. I can just package that up in a nice class. Mm-hmm. And now at the time when you create your host, what we're exploring, right. we're prototyping this, but this is out there in our CodePlex bits, you can actually pass that configuration class in. Mm-hmm. So I can just give that to all my developers and say, look, just use this. Stick it on your pipeline. Exactly. Just stick it in your configuration of your host right. and you'll get all of the proper defaults. And you can still extend that. You can still take that class and still act on it sure. and say, well, now I'm not stuck with just what my enterprise gave me. If I now want to say in this particular application, I also need to do some more. Right. It offers both A, a fluent API, which is just a nice way in code of configuring stuff. Mm-hmm. Or I can just derive from it and create my own derived version that inherits from their stuff sure. and I add to it. So we're really looking at not just providing the richness of working with HTTP, but also providing a nice developer experience 
And things like one of the things this configuration stuff will allow you to do is people want to use IFC containers with WCF. Yeah. And that's been a continual feedback that we've heard from customers. Mm -hmm. Well, one, with these new HTTP request and response messages, they're inherently more testable. I can new them up in a unit test. Sure. I don't need a service host running no. to check that my service returns the right status codes, mm -hmm. which is what you would need yeah. today. Um. The, oper the, the the different pipeline pieces are all extremely testable. Right. I can just poke on them, new them up, pass them some mocks, call a method. It works. Mm -hmm. So we've really looked at how to simplify the developer experience to make it more digestible. And, and it's not just, I think, status quo. We've been working a lot with community to say we want to have a premium experience. So if you use our bits – which, by the way, have been available on CodePlex since PDC. What, which, what's the project? WCF.CodePlex.com. And you'll see there that there's a WCF, there's an HTTP link, right. which takes you to our web APIs. Mm -hmm. We've just done a big update, which has really been taking in a lot of feedback that we've heard over the last six months. We've been continually refining. Um, and, you know, uh, we've just shipped a new version along with new Git packages. And those NuGet packages make it really easy for me to do the file new project experience right. without having to pre-install a whole bunch of templates. Yeah. And I can just get going. So it, as soon as you fire it up, all these packages come in. NuGet is just awesome. It is, it is something, I mean, isn't it? Because, because it just takes care of that problem of I'm a developer and I want to build something. How do I find it? Yeah. And how do I just get it in my project? I don't want to have to read a lot of documentation. And sort of I don't even want to have to read a readme.txt. Yeah. It's all, it's just, it, what I like is it really lowers the bar to getting to a first compile. Exactly. With all the pieces it's, installed. It's so amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's like for our stuff, there's a bunch of references you add. Um, and it's nice, I would say with our new stuff, it's been compartmentalized. Like there are different interesting pieces that you could use on their own. Mm -hmm. So that's why you'll notice we have like five NuGet packs, one right. which is like all. But the great thing about NuGet is the dependencies. So you get to choose the individual pieces you want. Mm -hmm. And each piece only pulls in the dependencies that it needs. And if you want the kitchen sink, which I don't want to call it, it's not actually that much. Right. But if you want the five, the four of them, you just get the all package and right. you just get everything. But it, the all package just contains references to the other ones anyway. It does. And pulls the whole thing together. It does. That's great. It does. Um, I don't know how we are on time. We're all right. But you asked a question about clients. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we haven't had a good story for in the .NET platform is a nice client for consuming and sending HTTP type messages. Right. We've had HTTP web request. Yes. Those kinds of objects, right? Mm -hmm. Which are, okay, they work, but they're really like dictionaries. They're not strongly typed mm -hmm. uh, representations. Um, and they don't work everywhere. There, there's a bunch of challenges with 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 those objects. So right. while we were developing WCF for .NET 3.5, mm -hmm. we had this project called the REST Starter Kit. And one of the things the REST Starter Kit introduced was an HTTP client, which is like, hey, I just want to talk to some web APIs that are out there. Right. And when we say web API, by the way, we just mean something that's exposed over HTTP right. that is being accessed by more than just a browser. Right. It might be jQuery code running in a browser, but mm -hmm. this is what we mean by when we use this term API. But there's no reason Flickr, you could use that. Flickr, Facebook, you could use as a, as really prominent examples. Sure. 
Twitter yeah, it would did. be a web API. It could be any kind of client. Like, it could well be a browser as well. But yes. the, And the, this client could be speaking to an actual web server. It doesn't actually matter. Exactly. It's just got to the protocol. Especially because now we support like form posts. You could technically write a web API that returns HTML. Sure. And accepts form post mm-hmm. if that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. Maybe you want that agnosticism of being able to run both self-hosted mm-hmm. or running in different environments. I mean, we're not um, – I would say that we're not optimized around one media type. And that I would say would be the big difference between like if you look at ASP.net, mm-hmm. it's really focused on serving rich sites. Yeah. I would see us as a component of a rich site. A common pattern might be ASP.net serves of a page – but then the form post, instead of being back to a controller or a page, right. actually just goes to the, to service. the service. And yeah. why? Well, because that service supports multiple clients and it lets me put the logic in one place. Exactly. And the browser is not affected. It's doing a call anyway. Well, and you could have another page that does a normal form post that ultimately has some code in it and it feeds back to that service anyway. Exactly. So you, you have some flexibility there exactly. one way or the other. And what's interesting, so we have this new HTTP client, talking about the client, mm-hmm. that just makes it very easy to, you know, you new up the HTTP client, you get this strongly typed HTTP request message response message. Mm-hmm. Um, the client actually has a layer in it, which we call message handlers, which allows me to even do things like control whether the traffic actually goes across the wire. Right. So one of the common problems is I want to do a unit test, and that unit test needs to send a message. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have to wrap and abstract away the client and all that stuff. I want to just use the client. I just don't want the message to go anywhere. Right. One of the really nice things with the new HTTP client is you can just sit at the plug-in and say, I stop the message and return the message necessary for the unit test. Right. And it's really easy to plug that in. So it's really nice there. It's also going to be nice for mashups. The server can be a client. Sure. I might be consuming information from Twitter mm-hmm. in my resource that I then present to you in a different way. Mm-hmm. HTTP client is perfect for that. So it works on the client. It works on the server. And what's the best thing is those new request response messages, the client uses those. So finally, in WCF, we have an example of where you can use the same exact APIs on the client and the server. Yeah. No, that's Which means exciting. you're using a lot of your logic. Yeah. And yeah, not having to re-engineer things. Exactly. And not having to have a big concept count of learning all these different things. Absolutely. Um, and the thing that's nice about those request response messages is they've been designed very closely in alignment with the HTTP spec. Mm-hmm. And they offer a very nice, strongly typed experience. So, for example, when I go to the accept headers, I don't get back strings. Right. I actually get back a strongly typed collection with objects that I can look at the qualifier and look at all the pieces of information I need. Mm-hmm. So we're doing the, you know, the best of a strongly typed world. We're saying, hey, I'm in a strongly typed world. Why do I have to just work with strings and dictionaries? So we're giving you that. But you can fall to those strings as well. We're not stopping you. It's really just a nice wrapper of a dictionary, which makes it more testable. It mm-hmm. doesn't have any dependency on the networking stack to use it, say, in a, in a unit test type right. environment. Well, yeah, you don't get trapped on that low level. You don't want to do any of that. Exactly. And I'm really thinking hard now about how useful that HTTP client would be in the test scenarios. Yep. Just as a way to, to be a tool for trying all of that stuff. So, I, I do a lot of checking of servers in my life. So. so let me tell you another cool thing we're doing. We haven't done this yet, but we've prototyped it, and it's really awesome. So one of the challenges we've heard is like, yeah, unit testing is a challenge in WCF, mm-hmm. but I can find ways to work with it. Sure. Acceptance tests are difficult 
Because – so with HTTP client, I can certainly do a set of acceptance tests now. Mm-hmm. And I'm illustrating this as on our latest CodePlex drop. I have unit tests and then I have acceptance tests that literally new up the client and make that call to a self-hosted service. Right. But there's a cost there. There's a latency cost. Mm-hmm. So really what I want to do is I want to test from the point that the message landed on the server as it went all the way through. Okay, yeah. I don't care about the wire. Yeah. The wire is just latency in my tests. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that Henrik, our architect, who, by the way, co-authored the HTTP spec with Roy. <laughs> so he's a little, you know, it, it's great when we have HTTP discussions. Yes. Because it's literally like, well, Henrik, what were you guys thinking, thinking when, when you, you wrote, wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> so that's been, and he's taught me so much. So I really thank him. I mean, it's one of the things I like about our company, being able to work with people like, the, you know, I remember when I was interviewing, yeah. Kirill, my manager, uh, said, do you want to meet Henrik? I'm like, well, who's Henrik? He's like, oh, he co-authored the H2B spec. I was like, sure, you know? <laughs> so that's who I learned HTTP from, right. which, which was great. Um, he prototyped this thing we call an in-memory channel. Hmm. And what the in-memory channel is, is like the server with a client attached to it. And I can literally send a message, just new up one of these HTTP request messages Mm -hmm. and send it from the point when it would have landed on the server. And there's no network latency. Interesting. The network's not even involved. And these tests run 13x to more times faster than the ones that run Well, you're skipping the whole TCP IP side of this. Exactly. There's no socket. Yeah, you're just dropping it. There's literally no socket. You're just dropping it in. And it sounds like, wow, I mean – that should have been there from the beginning. Yeah. But the point is, it wasn't. It's going to be. <laughs> so that's going to be really useful. Um, not only, I mean, for testing scenarios, it'll be great. I think that's one of the key places. But where it's also going to be interesting is it opens up richer hosting options. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't even want to use our service host at all. No. And you just want to say, give me the WCF stack from the point the server message comes in. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll figure out how to get it there. I can do it. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. The other exciting thing we're doing is adding really good support for Task of T. We're, we're bringing async support. Mm-hmm. A lot of these, these, uh, we have these, I won't say a lot. The extensibility points we have are minimal. We actually are bringing three new extensibility points. Okay. Only for HTTP. So mm. everywhere, so the thing that's cool there is when you drop into one of these extensibility points, the only thing you're seeing is an HTTP request, HTTP response. Right. You're not seeing a message that I have to cast to and work with properties. Mm-hmm. And we actually don't even tunnel those messages anymore through. The only thing that tunnels through the new configuration is just HTTP raw requests and responses. Right. So it just means that you don't have to feel like when you try to extend it, it's now like, oh, like the programming model's nice, but now when I get into this extensibility thing, it's like awful. Hmm. It's it's a consistent experience. Sure. So, yeah. Well, we're running out of time here, my friend. Uh, any last words, things we need to be looking out for? Um, the only thing I would say is um, go to wcf.coplex.com. Yes. Um, or minimally, just go get the NuGet packs. Yeah. Um, what's nice, if you go to wcf.coplex.com, we've got a bunch of samples um, I've now actually added unit tests and acceptance tests for the samples. Mm-hmm. The samples show a range. So they, one thing it shows is a jQuery client side application. It's literally just an HTML file hmm. that is talking back and forth to WCF web APIs. Cool. So really showing this idea that you can get down to the metal, just talk, you know, raw Well, you stripped HTTP. all the HTML away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, 
But then it shows all these other clients. Mm-hmm. It shows doing the iCalendar thing. It shows doing uh, vCard support, which is a way to electronically show a contact. It shows doing OData. By the way, we've taken the OData URI format and mm-hmm. we now allow you in your web API services to return iQueryable of T. And what that means is imagine issuing an OData query against a vCard format of contacts. Right. Where I query the contacts for my vCard system. The URI that I specify is an OData query, but I don't get back OData. I just get back vCard. The vCard, right. So we allow you to basically return an iQueryable of T on your services and then once you return iQueryable of T, that tells us I understand the OData URI format. Interesting. And because the formats are separated, by the time the format gets the collection to transform it, it's already gotten the query applied to it. Sure. So it's like sweet. I, I showed a demo of, uh, you know, using, for example, the iPad stuff, but you could use Gmail mm-hmm. and Gmail actually understands vCard. Sure. You can go import and put an OData URI and issue a query to get back a filtered subset of contacts, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's very powerful. So I, I think where the web API is going to be really nice is for folks that are looking to really open up their capabilities to a range of devices and to have rich interactions with those devices. Glenn Block, always fun to talk to you, my friend. Thanks, man. Same. And we'll talk to you next time on Talking Rocks. Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.